Welcome to the Lila Life Show. I'm your host, Linda Andrews, and you've tuned in to the right place to up-level in your life and business. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Lila Life Show. I'm your host, Linda Andrews, and I have an amazing show today with Ina Toppler. She is a board-certified clinical nutritionist, over 16 years clinical practice, and all about thyroid mysteries and uncovering them. Welcome, Ina, to the show. It's so good to have you here. Linda, thank you so much. It's such an honor to be here. I, I was reflecting this morning, and you I found you at a very important uh, time in my life and can actually thank you for uh, being such an inspiration. And I found your curiosity then and your commitment to functional nutrition and, and the work and helping me to learn my body better and, and just understanding some things I need to be aware of and to see you now, you know, with complete nutrition and wellness and your podcast about thyroid mysteries. I really feel like there's a lot here for us to unpack. So we'll, we'll have some fun today. Definitely. Uh, so first let's start with your story and how you started your curious journey into being a thyroid expert. Was there something that happened within yourself? How'd this all get started for you? There sure was. It's a long story, but to make it short, I started having issues at an early age and thinking back, I was having issues when I was very young. I remember constantly getting sick, always having colds, being cold myself, being tired, even when I was you know, eight, nine years old. And then I had a lot of issues in high school with fatigue and also skin issues and a lot of issues with my menstrual cycle. And, you know, sort of kind of went on and off in college as well. And when I started my job, I actually started out on Wall Street in New York City. And, you know, I had this sort of glamorous finance job and, you know, I should have been having the time of my life. I moved to New York City and everything was just so exciting. And yet here I was, feeling tired, having brain fog, having really bad PMS, migraines, having a lot of IBS. Um, and then on top of that, I still had acne. And at this point, you know, I was in my twenties, I wasn't going through puberty anymore. And I got to the point where I'm like, that's it. I, I can't do this. This is too frustrating. So I started to seek help and you know, I went to my primary and she ran all the tests and she said, everything is normal. Nothing is going on. And I thought, okay, but I'm feeling what I'm feeling. And she couldn't understand why I was feeling those things. So she sent me to specialists and, oh my goodness, I went to so many different specialists. I went to a gastroenterologist and they said that my IBS is just something I'd have to learn to live with. I went to a neurologist because I was having all these headaches and brain fog. And he said, oh, well, just exercise more. That'll help to clear it up. You know, and I told him, I'm sorry, but I'm really tired. I don't have the energy to go to the gym and I have a full-time job. And then I went to a dermatologist for my skin who gave me antibiotics that gave me a yeast infection for which I need wow. to go see a gynecologist. And so you get the idea. I made the rounds and none of my doctors were talking to each other. None of them were trying to see if my symptoms were even related. And a lot of them actually questioned if they were in my head. And I think I even questioned myself at one point, like, am I making this up? But I knew I wasn't, I wasn't crazy. I was really feeling these things. And so I went to more doctors and more appointments. And finally, I saw a different endocrinologist who diagnosed me with Hashimoto's. And for those who are not familiar, Hashimoto's is an autoimmune disease that affects the thyroid. And so typically if people get a diagnosis like that, they might feel, oh, you know, I have this disease, right? To me though, 
I was excited because finally someone told me there's something going on, right? Because it gets very frustrating when you're not feeling well and all you're being told is there's nothing wrong with you, right? So this was, I'm like, okay, there's something going on. And I was excited. And I said to the doctor, okay, let's fix it. What do we do? And the doctor said, well, since your thyroid labs are normal, there's nothing we can do. We just wait and see. And eventually your immune system is going to destroy your thyroid. And then, and only then we're going to put you on thyroid medicine, which you'll have to take forever. Wow. So as you can imagine, I was not very thrilled by that statement and that conversation. And so that is what really opened my eyes to functional medicine and to really to start to look elsewhere, because I knew that that diagnosis was just the beginning and the mystery hasn't really been solved and I needed to put the pieces together. And I actually, at that point, found a clinical nutritionist who was also a naturopathic doctor. And we started doing a lot of more functional tests and we explored my body in a very different way. And what we found was that my thyroid was not actually okay. It was okay by conventional standards, but it wasn't optimal. And additionally, I had all types of bacterial infections. I had heavy metals, like really high mercury. I had vitamin deficiencies and mineral deficiencies. I had um, yeast overgrowth or candida is another name for that. I had, um, oh my gosh, I had so many things. It literally, there was everything that was going on. But again, though, it was exciting because I was finding things. And in this case, the doctor I was seeing was explaining how all of this is related and that there were solutions for all of that. I also had a lot of food sensitivity. So I started there. I changed my diet. I started taking certain nutrients that were customized to me. I did some cleansing, both my gut and my liver. I did hormone support. And with all of those things, I started seeing changes for the first time in a very long time. My fatigue got better. My brain fog lifted pretty quickly once I took out certain foods that my body was sensitive to. And with all of that, my hormones start to normalize. My PMS went away. My headaches got better. My stomach was feeling better. It was amazing. Um, now, again, I don't want to make it sound like, oh, you know, it was one, two, three poof and everything was gone. It was a process. And I did have to make these changes and I did have to work at it, but I was guided by this practitioner and we did it step-by-step step, and all of these things got better. And as they did, I thought, wait a minute, you know, if I'm feeling this way, I know so many other people are too. And that's when I ended up leaving my career on Wall Street and starting my practice. And here we are 17 years later. So amazing. As you're explaining your story, I was like, oh yeah, that's why I went to see you. It was like, I just had been having so many issues that were so normalized for so long. And I just like, finally found you. I mean, it was like such a godsend. And Aww. as you were sharing, I was like, yeah, I had that. I had that. I had that. And, you know, I, I, that was probably almost 10, maybe even longer years ago, but I'm curious in what you're seeing the pervasiveness of the thyroid issues, you know, imagining a lot of people may have a challenge like this, have no idea. And, you know, if you want to do a X out of 10, do you have an idea of how many people are affected by a thyroid issue or even autoimmune in a way that could be sneaky that don't know. Do you, would you put a stamp of a number? Yes. Well, yeah. thyroid is millions. I mean, I think with autoimmune and Hashimoto specifically 14 million people. Now here's the thing when it comes to thyroid, as you mentioned, a lot of people may not realize it. And the reason for that is 
because they're not properly tested. And I think that it's very important to do blood work and see what's going on. And most people typically will have a physical every year. But here's the thing. A physical is usually very broad and very general, and it doesn't really get into specifics unless something shows up as off on the physical. And so when it comes to thyroid, one of the main markers that we test is the TSH, which is the thyroid stimulating hormone. Now that is a very important marker. However, that is only one out of eight different markers for thyroid. Now, traditionally, you know, if you look at, you know, medical school textbooks and how things have been taught, TSH, while it's an important marker, you know, the reason why it's the only one used is because it is assumed that if TSH is okay, everything else down the line is going to work. But the operative word here is assumed that doesn't mean that it actually happens. Now, first, before we even get into how the thyroid works, what's also important to know is that we have the different ranges at the labs, but who determines what those ranges are, right? How often are those optimized? How often are those, you know, looked at? And so right now, the range for TSH is between 0.5 and 4.5. And that's going to vary a little bit from lab to lab. Some of them are 0.6 to 5, some go to like 4.8, but I would say an average is from about 0.5 to 4.5, meaning that if your TSH is 0.6 or your TSH is 4.4, you're considered in the normal range. Now, if you look at studies where they're looking at what the optimal TSH really should be, many people, you know, and this isn't just functional medicine or integrative doctors, you know, even conventional doctors are starting to see that a TSH that's below three really is more optimal. And so here we are at a lab range saying anything up to 4.5 is okay. Meanwhile, we're seeing that when people's TSH goes up past three, there may be an issue. So even if we don't test any of the thyroid markers, but just test the TSH alone, a lot of people are missed because they don't realize that a 4.2 or 4.3 may not really be optimal because the lab range says so. Does that make sense? So yeah, what I'm hearing is I go to the doctor, I get my labs run, everything's in the quote unquote normal range, but there's these variables to, to their normal that may be cause for concern that maybe unless you have the knowledge or are going to a specialist like yourself will be missed. And that's why a bunch of people that kind of feel like shit uh, have things going on that they may never even know about until it's really escalated. And, uh, and there's a big, big issue that could have gotten caught way earlier on. Right. Correct. Now this is sort of problem number one, right? It's this range of the TSH. Um, and so with that, you know, if your TSH is within the labs range, but it's above three, that is an indication something's going on and likely your doctor may miss because they're just looking at the range. So that's number one. The second thing is what we mentioned earlier that when TSH is normal, we assume everything else with thyroid is okay, but about half the time that is not the case. So let me explain. Let's just say someone does have a normal TSH. Let's just say it's 2.0, right? So totally normal within the labs range, but also within the optimal range. Well, that TSH then has to stimulate a bunch of different things for your thyroid to work properly. Now, the way that the thyroid works is the thyroid, actually the production of thyroid hormone starts in the brain. 
it starts from your hypothalamus, which will stimulate your pituitary gland. And then your pituitary gland will in turn stimulate the thyroid. So TSH is actually a pituitary hormone and it tells the thyroid to produce two hormones, T4 and T3. Now T4 is what's called a pro-hormone and it's not really active. And then T4 needs to convert in the body to T3, which is the active thyroid hormone. Now, what's interesting is your thyroid, when stimulated by the pituitary, produces both the T4 and T3, but it produces a lot more T4 than T3, over 90% of T4 and only about 6 or 7% of T3. And people always ask me, well, wait a minute, that seems silly. If T4 is not active, why would your body produce so much of this inactive hormone and so little of the T3, which your body really needs, right? Well, the body's really smart. And the reason it does this is because if T4 was active, or if it produced, let's say the T3 that's active, it would be used by the cells right around the thyroid because it's active and it's there. But we need thyroid hormone literally for everything from your head to your toes. A lot of people don't realize, but thyroid isn't just for energy and metabolism like most people think. We need thyroid hormone for our digestion, for our hormone balance, for our skin, for our hair, for our cholesterol, for so, so many different things, for our mood. Um, and so the body's really smart and it says, wait a minute, I don't want this thyroid hormone to be taken up by all the cells right there. That's why it produces T4 in the highest percentage of T4. And then that T4 travels to the liver and inside the liver is where it converts to T3 a big chunk of the time. Additionally, it also goes to the gut and in the gut, it also converts to T3. So the conversion of thyroid hormone doesn't happen in the thyroid. It happens in other areas. That's why when we talk about thyroid, it's really a whole body approach because there's so many different areas that are also involved in making that hormone. And then there's one other step. Once your body converts T4 into T3, that T3 then have, it has to get into the cell just because you have it in your blood. It doesn't necessarily do as much. It has to actually get into the cell and be used up. And so, as you can see, if someone has a TSH that's normal, but we don't actually look at what their T4 level is or what their T3 level is, they can have low T3, meaning their body may have an issue in their liver, or maybe they have IBS or the digestive symptoms and mm -hmm. the gut is off. And because of that, they can't convert very well the T4 into T3 in the gut, right? So they can have low T3, that active thyroid hormone that we absolutely need for all of our cells, but we'll never know because it's not tested. See what I mean? Yeah. So they, it's not only about what's being made. It's also about how the conversion process is going. And it sounds like you're really checking at both points. Or many you, well, points. you have to, you have yeah. to, because TSH is not a thyroid hormone. TSH is a pituitary hormone. That's what stimulates the thyroid to produce T4. That T4 has to get to, excuse me, that T4 has to convert to T3 and that T3 then has to get used by your cells. So how you feel your energy, your metabolism, your skin, your hair, your mood, your digestion, it depends on the thyroid hormones that you have, not the TSH. And while most people think that because there's all these different feedback loops, if your TSH is normal, it means your thyroid hormones are normal. 
it doesn't half the time. Mm -hmm. And this is where people get missed. So what's really important is to get a full thyroid panel. And that full thyroid panel includes not just TSH, but your T4, both in the total form and the free form. And what that means, not to get make it too complicated, but what it basically means is the total form is when it's attached to proteins and the free form is when it's available to cells. And you usually have it in both ways in the body. And the same thing for T3 in the total form and in the free form. There's also a marker called T3 uptake, which is a marker to see if there's any hormonal imbalances, specifically with estrogen. So that's really, really helpful to see as well. And then um, the other important thing is to check for thyroid antibodies. And thyroid antibodies are how we would determine if someone has any autoimmunity, specifically Hashimoto's, meaning when the immune system attacks your own thyroid. Now, why this is important is that oftentimes you can have the start of Hashimoto's, the autoimmune attack, years before your thyroid actually gets affected. So you can have positive thyroid antibodies, meaning the attack, your immune system was already saying, hey, there's something going on and is attacking the thyroid, but the thyroid labs, the actual thyroid hormones are still okay. And so if someone goes to the doctor and looks at all their thyroid hormones, they'll tell them everything is fine, but they may already be feeling symptoms. They may be feeling tired. They may be feeling that they have brain fog, they may have hormonal issues, digestive issues, that can happen from the inflammation of your immune system attacking your thyroid. And in, unless you check that, that would be missed. In, in that instance of the attack on the thyroid, why the thyroid versus other parts of the body? Mm, that's a very good question. So when it comes to autoimmunity, your immune system can attack anything, right? That's why we have hundreds and hundreds of different autoimmune diseases and probably many other types of autoimmune diseases that we may not even have a name for because in theory, your immune system can attack anything. And what's interesting is that once your immune system attacks one organ, you're more likely to have your immune system attack other organs because that's how autoimmunity works. So why someone's immune system would attack their thyroid versus something else. That's hard to say. I think there's a genetic component. There may be certain specific things to the thyroid that they may have propensity to, but a lot of times when we have an attack on the thyroid, there may be other organs as well. And people may not realize that. And that's why when it comes to dealing with autoimmunity, and obviously that's probably a whole other topic for a whole other show in itself, but um, as in a nutshell, really, when we're looking at autoimmunity, it's important to address the immune system and not the organ. Meaning when the thyroid gets attacked, the thyroid is an innocent bystander, right? Mm -hmm. It's not the thyroid's fault that it's being attacked. Unfortunately, the immune system got confused and got into a tizzy. And for whatever reason, it thinks the thyroid is a foe and not a friend, right? So Yes, we need to support the thyroid if the thyroid needs help and the thyroid needs hormones, but we can't um, we can't basically make the Hashimoto's better by just supporting the thyroid, right? We can't put Hashimoto's in remission by just supporting thyroid. The way we do that is by supporting the immune system itself. And the good thing is that we can do that. 
as much as it seems very mysterious, there are many different reasons that create this immune system confusion. And it's going to be slightly different for different people, but there are actually four kind of main categories of things that typically create this immune system confusion. The first is the food that we eat. And while that's going to vary a little bit from person to person, you know, typically the foods that we're sensitive to and have a food sensitivity or even sometimes an allergy to can create that. For a lot of people that can be gluten because there's a specific connection with gluten and autoimmunity, but not for everyone. For some, it could be dairy. For some, it could be corn. For others, it could be things like lectins, which are found in nightshade vegetables. Um, but when you're eating foods your body doesn't like, that actually puts more stress on the immune system. And then, especially if we have something called leaky gut, which is where we have almost like these tiny little microscopic holes in our intestines, if we don't digest our foods well, the undigested foods can seep through those holes and into the bloodstream. And then the body attacks it because food doesn't belong in the bloodstream. And the body's really smart, right? It's just doing what it thinks it needs to. And that's how we create antibodies to those foods from the attack. And so the next time that you eat that food, the body says, oh, I remember you, I attacked you, right? I already have an antibody. Well, those antibodies can do something called cross-react with other tissues like the thyroid or your joints or other cells. And that's how there's this correlation with food sensitivities and autoimmunity. And then wow. other things, oh, I'm sorry. No, go, I just the, like the potential of an inflammation storm non-technical term uh, mm -hmm. from that, from that, it just was really landing like, oh my gosh, if that's happening, what, what else that affects? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It affects so many different things, but the immune system is like that first line of defense for that, you know, and then there's other things like toxins similarly to foods can play a big role. So whether it's toxins like glyphosate, um, you know, pesticides, whether it's toxins from the environment, maybe heavy metals like mercury, right? When you have those in your body or they come in from your food or from your environment, the liver has to process it. But if the liver can't process it, it has to get put off somewhere and that creates stress and the body has to work harder to get rid of it. And that stress on the immune system is what can make it get confused. Because remember, the immune system is not broken, it's just confused right? And it's attacking the thyroid because it thinks there's something wrong with the thyroid. It's not realizing your thyroid is your own organ. It's your friend, right? Or your joint or whatever other tissue that it's attacking. And so these types of toxins can really play a role. Infections also play a big role. So, and it, when we think of infections, it's not necessarily things like, oh, you know, a cold, right? But, you know, things like maybe having a gut infection, like an overgrowth of yeast, or having past viral infections like Epstein-Barr virus, which is really, really common. And it works similarly to the way the foods do, because what happens is if your immune system is trying to deal with an infection, it makes antibodies to it. Those antibodies are what can cross-react with the organs. And then the immune system basically saying, oh, I have this virus, I gotta get rid of this virus. But if the immune system of the, excuse me, if the antibody for that virus cross-reacts and gets let's say, put on the thyroid, what the immune system is going to see is it's going to see the viral antibodies on the thyroid. It's going to think that's the virus too. And it's going to attack that because it's just going after the virus. That's its job. Just kill the virus, kill the virus. So if the virus is on something else, it doesn't realize, oh, it's on my thyroid, right? It's just killing the virus and the thyroid at the same time. Wow. That's uh, it, it's, it's like, 
then what? And I, I, as you're saying this, what I'm thinking about is somebody, let's say they're a heavy drinker. And so there's this bigger load on the liver mm-hmm. and, or, you know, what are other things that put a heavy load on a liver? I'd imagine sugar. <laughs> um, and so then the, the liver's knocked out, the gut's knocked out and just how easy it is for your whole system to be like, we got an issue. Exactly. Exactly. And then to top all of this off, we have stress and not just the physical stress of everything that we talked about, but we have our daily emotional stress, like with our daily demands and, you know, with stress, a lot of it is of course, how, what we put, you know, what's in our life, but it's also how we perceive it. Two people can be exposed to the same stressor, but how we perceive it, how we react, how we manage it makes a really big difference, right? So for some people, the stress is what puts them over their edge, right? Their bucket overflows, if you will. Um, And so with all of those things, you know, I think for most people, we're going to have an overflow somewhere in those buckets. Um, Now, the amazing thing is that our body has this just amazing ability Mm. to heal, right? The body knows what it has to do. So it deals with it, but everyone has a threshold, right? And so for some people, you know, they may be eating certain foods their body doesn't like, they may be exposed to toxins for the body's like, right, I got it. I'm going to like make a detour here, or I'm going to circumvent this this way, right? Like I got it, I got it. But then like, there comes a point where it's like, and a lot of times what's interesting is that point is something almost less significant, right? So their body could be overloaded with different things and then they may get a cold. And then they, you know, tell me, you know what? After I had that cold, I never felt the same. Was it the cold? No, probably not. The cold is probably the straw that broke the camel's back, right? That put the system over, you know, or for some people it's, you know, I went out and I drank too much one night, but I always drink, what's the big deal, right? But it's like that extra alcohol on top of everything else just put you over the edge. And then the other side too, is like you said, the stressful event where, you know, your dad dies and it just was too much for your system. And all this stuff was happening right under that threshold point. And then it's Mm -hmm. all, you know, exploded. I'm curious in your opinion, you know, are you seeing this across the board affecting men and women, both on the autoimmune side and then the other side around thyroid specific, or are you seeing this, um, biological men and women, or are you seeing this, affect some more than others? Do you have an opinion on that? Women much more than men. Um, I would say probably 80% women, but it certainly does affect men. So I don't want to exclude men, but it is more common in women. Now, here's another interesting thing that a lot of people don't realize. Guess what the number one cause of hypothyroidism and hypothyroidism is basically a slow thyroid. Um, Number one cause I'm thinking like something with the gut health, uh, but is it some kind of like childhood event or a childhood virus or sickness? Oh, well, they all contribute, but it's actually Hashimoto's. So all those things, the gut, the childhood trauma, all of that contribute to Hashimoto's, but Hashimoto's is the number one reason for hypothyroidism. So like, think about this for a second. I mean, this is, I just think this is big, right? So there's all of these people who have a slow thyroid, super, super common. And many of them don't realize that they have Hashimoto's because their doctor doesn't even test for it, right? But what is Hashimoto's? Hashimoto's is when your immune system destroys your own thyroid. What happens when your thyroid gets destroyed over time? It stops producing enough hormone and you become hypothyroid. Now, when someone is 
clinically hypothyroid, the doctor at that point will prescribe the medicine. And when it comes to medicine, you know, I'm someone, and I think you would probably agree, you know, being in the natural space, we want to try to do things as naturally as possible, right? When possible, we use supplements or lifestyle or food and things like that. However, when it comes to thyroid, the way I look at thyroid medicine is it's an essential hormone that your body needs, but can't make. So in this case, I think it is important to support thyroid with thyroid medicine when it's warranted and needed because you would do more harm than good by not doing that. And I have personal experience with that. I was so hesitant when I was younger to go on thyroid medicine because I just thought everything natural is good. Everything that's medicine is bad, you know, but I really needed it and it made a big difference. So it is important to support your body with thyroid medicine when it does need it. But what happens is that when people have Hashimoto's, it's a twofold approach, right? Yes, you want to support your thyroid thyroid medicine, but thyroid medicine isn't going to do anything to help balance your immune system and do anything for some of those triggers we talked about, like the toxins or the infections, right? So someone may think, oh, I have hypothyroidism. I'm taking thyroid medicine. Great, I'm set. I'm just going to keep taking thyroid medicine. But if they're not doing anything to support the immune system and stop their thyroid from being attacked, well, what's going to happen is they're going to keep destroying their thyroid and every year they're going to have to take more and more medicine. See what I mean? Yeah. And that brings the question, is the thyroid of regenerative nature? So to what point of healing can a thyroid get back to? Can it get all the way back to baseline or, you know, this is the hope moment, I think for our listeners. Well, this is a very, very, very good question. There is some, but not complete. So the way that it typically works is the part of the thyroid that has been destroyed, unfortunately, can usually not be able to be brought back a little bit possibly. But, you know, I also want to be really mindful about not giving anyone false hope right in that way. Or even like, yeah, like maybe where we're at at this moment in time, we don't have the most robust, you know, I'm the type that, although we don't know yet, maybe there'll be a moment in time where we can see a more recovered thyroid. But anyway, you can- Right, right. (laughs) But but here's what, what is important. Here's where the hope lies. By stopping or slowing down the attack on the thyroid, you stop further progression, which I think is huge, right? Okay, so maybe we may not be able to get our thyroid back to 100%, but if we stopped it at 70% destruction and keep it there, well, we're going to preserve 70% of our thyroid. That's huge, right? Versus not knowing, not doing anything, and then it going down to 50%, 40%, 30%, and so on, right? So the hope is there that we can stop it, we can slow it down at the very least, right? And whatever we do have can still work really, really well for us. And I think with some of that, we can even regenerate possibly maybe a little bit of it, right? But at least we're not destroying it more. That's the bigger thing. Yeah, wow. And I I think that that same thought probably could be applied to many different body systems where we want to like stabilize, but then not further the damage, you know, by those same lifestyle choices, behaviors that, that created the big issue to begin with. And uh, so I I urge people to really digest that one pun intended where it's Mm -hmm. like, Hey, we want to get to the bottom of what's going on and then also create this healthier environment so that that inflammation and that experience is, is not as likely to happen or as fast as you're saying. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, when it comes to 
looking at thyroid, it's really a twofold approach of looking at the immune system and the thyroid. And that's why I think it's so, so important that when someone has a physical, they get a full thyroid panel. Um, and I have a link I'll share with you so you can share with your audience and what exactly that panel is and why and how to ask your doctor for it. Um, because it's important to know, especially if you're experiencing any potential thyroid symptoms, which as we mentioned are across the board, right? Fatigue, weight gain, dry skin, hair loss, mood issues, you know, whether that's depression or anxiety, any type of digestive issues, IBS or constipation or um, gas, bloating. Um, if you have high cholesterol, a lot of times thyroid could be underlying that. If you're dealing with headaches or brain fog, I mean, there's just so many different symptoms that can fall under thyroid um, because the thyroid is literally, I mean, you need thyroid hormone, as I mentioned, for everything from your head to your toes. It's needed for everything in your body. And, and then I, with, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. It just right now, it feels like such a time where, you know, you're hearing about viruses and immune system so much in such a different context, but a conversation like this, that's flowing like right under the radar that could be actually having so many more long-term impacts if it goes unaddressed. Uh, and, and I think this is something that's really important is that we have the full robust conversation around say immune system. And then there's like deeper understanding for these super important systems within the body that, you know, I, I remember meeting a 30 year old getting her thyroid removed. And I just, I remember when that happened and I don't know the specifics and I'm certainly not a doctor, but I just felt like, did that act, did that procedure actually need to happen? Like, were there other options, you know, and I can't speak to that specific situation, uh, but I'm just wondering if that's becoming more of a mainstream quote unquote solution where, you know, you're in your thirties, getting your thyroid removed versus taking some of these approaches, like you're saying, or does it get to a point where, oh yeah, like it was so bad. We needed to remove the thyroid. Right. Right. Well, I think it depends of course, on what's happening. Usually um, thyroids get removed due to thyroid cancer. Um, and thyroid cancer typically starts when there's a thyroid nodule that grows and becomes cancerous. It's not that common. Thankfully, thyroid cancers, um, well, first of all, they're usually very, very slow growing, but most thyroid nodules are going to be benign. But of course, it's important to check if you have a nodule. But here's the thing, when you have an autoimmune attack that actually can predispose you possibly to create more nodules, right? So mm. where did that start? You know, like, we don't know, right? I mean, in hindsight, it's hard to say, of course, but could some of these things have led to that? Um, very, very possible. Um, you know, I think also when it comes to thyroid, and I think you would agree with me that this, I think applies to so many other things in health, it's really not a one size fits all approach. And the reason for that is that for, for example, like with Hashimoto's, what we were saying, we all have our own individual immune triggers, right? For so for some people, it could be gluten. For someone else, it could be dairy. For some, it can be an infection in the gut, like H. pylori, for example. Others, it could be a yeast overgrowth, or it could be, um, you know, getting Botox, which can sometimes trigger certain autoimmunity, right? So it's about looking at those triggers and their individual Um but then also with the thyroid itself and supporting it, you know, a lot of people say, oh, well, my thyroid is slow. So I'm on medicine. And again, if you need medicine, that's, uh, you, you need it. There's nothing wrong with that. And it's very important. 
but there are also different types of medicines, right? So there's medicine for T4 and there's medicine for T3. So often people get put on something called Synthroid, which is a really, really popular, the most widely used thyroid medicine, but it's a T4 only medicine. But what if you're someone who doesn't convert well from T4 to T3? Well, here you are taking Synthroid and your TSH then becomes in range because that's what Synthroid does, but you don't have enough T3. You're taking this medicine, but yeah, you're still feeling crappy. You're tired, your hair is falling out, you can't go to the bathroom and your doctor tells you, but your TSH is normal, you're on medicine. So everything should be fine, right? And it's frustrating for people because they're like, well, I'm on this medicine, why am I not feeling better? I see this so much. And that's another reason where that full thyroid panel is so helpful to then see, okay, well, based on what you have and your hormones, maybe your medicine needs to change. Maybe you need to add T3 medicine too, or maybe we actually work on getting your body to convert because remember the conversion isn't done by the thyroid. It's done by the liver and the gut. So if you're not converting well, whether it's your own hormone or the medicine, let's optimize the thyroid, um, excuse me, let's optimize the liver, right? Let's optimize the gut to get you to convert. There's um, actually what I call thyroid types. And this is something that I teach in my personalized thyroid course. And what's interesting about this is just like we all have different personality types or personality traits, right? We have the same with our thyroid. So there are some people who have this high TSH, which is really common. Most doctors recognize that. But there's also a thyroid type where the TSH is low. That's called an understimulated thyroid type. So when you see a low TSH, that's usually a very good sign. But if it's too low, that actually means that the pituitary is too weak and not stimulating the thyroid. There's also another thyroid type that actually shows up as a normal TSH and a normal total T4, but a low free T4 and a low free T3. And unless you test for those, you wouldn't even know. You know what's so interesting about this thyroid type? This is affected by your estrogen. So if someone's on birth control or if someone's had any other hormonal imbalances where they have something called estrogen dominance, that will create this thyroid pattern and this thyroid type. So the way that you would address this would be different than the way you would address someone with a high TSH. So it's so helpful to know what your thyroid type is. So that's where I was saying that it's not a one size fits all approach, but this is also what I think is so cool that if someone is seeing their practitioner and getting nowhere and they're being told everything's fine, you know, I think it's this, well, at least my hope is that it gives them more hope, right? That they probably just didn't look at everything. And then once they even look at everything, they may not have evaluated it, right? Because they would need to know, are they supporting it for their thyroid type or for just the general thyroid type? Amazing. And and this uh, endocrine disruptors and the, or excuse me, estrogen disruptors and the estrogen dominance, you know, we're exposed to toxins environmentally, <laughs> chemically, like just so much. And I, I'm curious around the root cause. Do you feel like the root cause, I mean, it feels like it's worth discussing, but on some level, it's like, you can't hide from some of these root causes. I guess there's a way to lower the load, but you're going to still be exposed to them. Do you have any thoughts around say the estrogen disruptors and, and how to, or I guess it's endocrine, endocrine disruptors. Am I saying mm-hmm. that? Endocrine disruptors yeah, that create. Yeah. Them. Yeah. So the endocrine disruptors that could create then estrogen dominance, 
is there a way at any suggestions you have to be mindful about lowering that load that we can take personal responsibility for in our day-to-day? Yes. And actually the approach here is twofold. So first and foremost, it is lowering the load to whatever we're each individually capable, right? So if you're taking the birth control pill, which gives you a lot of outside, you know, exogenous estrogen that's synthetic, maybe look and see, okay, well, am I on it because of birth control reasons or am I on it because of other things? For example, a lot of women go on at a young age because they have irregular cycles or heavy cycles. Well, there's other ways to support that. And really the birth control is not even the answer. Yes, it makes you feel better in the moment, but it doesn't fix any of that, just covers it up. So then when you do get off and try to get pregnant, a lot of times that creates issues because that underlying issue wasn't corrected. So looking at balancing that, um, you know, things like meat and dairy to try to get organic. So there's no hormones coming in that way, looking at our personal care products for things like parabens, which are endocrine disruptors, um, you know, looking at, you know, just other chemicals that we're taking in. So anything we can do to lower the load is number one, but then number two is let's work on supporting the detoxification of these things. So our liver is what processes this. And there's a specific pathway. It's called the glucuronidation pathway. And that's how those chemicals go through. Oftentimes people may have issues or bottlenecks in that pathway. And there are specific supplements that can be really helpful, like calcium deglucarate, for example, that can help to open up that pathway and help things go through. So it's about lowering what we're taking in, but also helping to speed the detox of it. And when you do both, then I think it's really the best of both worlds, because like you said, unfortunately, there's certain things, you know, we have to go outside and breathe air, right? And there's just going to be things that we absolutely cannot avoid. So we do what we can. And we get our liver working as best as we can. Yeah. And then the, I think the other side is maybe the activist side of the more people that are aware of like, oh man, there's some environmental issues. If we collectively were aware of this and uh, wanted it to be differently, wouldn't that be interesting? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the, the other side of hope uh, that also gets me fired up and excited. You know, this is so powerful. You know, I think people here listening are really going to get some little light bulb. So I would love to know, you know, you have a course coming up. Uh, also you do private sessions, but the best way for people to reach out to you, we ha- will have your website, completenutritionandwellness.com in the show notes. Um, but if you want to talk a little bit about how you work with people and uh, what, what would be a good starting spot, I would love to share. Sure. Of course. Um, so I'm actually personally not taking on any one-on-one clients. I haven't been for a little while, but that's also why I have the customized course because so many people need help and support. And while I'm not able to see them one-on-one, the course is personalized where I teach you everything you need to know about your thyroid and Hashimoto's. We actually identify your thyroid type together. And then based on that, you get a personalized step-by-step action plan. And, you know, these action plans, there's a lot of different steps, right? We walk people through everything they need to know and support them through that based on their specific thyroid type. And there's live Q and A's with me. So there's a lot of support that way. Um, But if people want to get in touch with me, um, if you're on social, I'm pretty active on Instagram. I'm at Ina Toppler. So you can always send me a direct message there. Um, Come say hello. And, um, you know, also through the website, there's a contact um, 
page there. So um, you could send a message to us that way as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. And is there any uh, last little gem you want to leave our listeners with uh, an inspirational or a uh, nugget of hope that, that you think could land? Sure. Um, I think that it's important to remember that whatever health issue you're dealing with, there is an answer. You know, so many people are frustrated because, you know, potentially their doctor isn't supplying that answer or they feel like they're not getting anywhere. And a lot of times they feel very betrayed by medicine. I know I did. I felt betrayed by medicine and my body. And it, sometimes you sort of have to hit that bottom to realize there's other things there. And I don't want people to have to go that far down. And just to know that the answers really are out there. Sometimes you have to look in a slightly different place. Sometimes you have to address it from a slightly different angle, but it's really about looking at the body as a whole. You know, usually it may not be something simple like, oh, here's a medicine or here's this magic supplement. I mean, I'd love to say that, oh, there is this magic supplement, but just being realistic, that's probably not the case. It's a combination. But when you look at things as a whole, you know, in a combination with your whole body, the answer is really out, out there. And, you know, I just hope that people see that and have hope because whatever you're dealing with, there's usually a reason or two or three underlying reasons for it. But those answers really are out there. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in and we will catch you next week on the Lila Life Show. Thanks again for being here, Ina. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Lila Life Show. Be sure to share, like, and comment. Tune in next week. And if you're not already a member of the Lila Life Collective, you'll want to be. So take a look in the show notes and be sure you sign up today. Have a beautiful day.